Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. ES Audio. Hello, this is the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis, the Standard's Chief Theatre Critic. I'm Nancy Durrant, Culture Editor. And I'm Nick Clark, Deputy Culture Editor. Coming up, we review Women Beware the Devil at the Almeida. Plus, we'll be speaking to Jenna Coleman and Josie Rourke for Lemons, 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 Lemons at the Harold Pinter Theatre. You simply don't get that time on TV. And I think working with something, again, in its entirety as well, like getting to tell this story beginning to end every night as opposed to you know, picking up aspects of a story over the space of three months. It's a, it's a completely different um, muscle. What a show we've got for you. First of all, let's kick off with Shirley Valentine, starring Sheridan Smith. This is a revival of, of Willie Russell's very popular, multiply award-laden in its day, 1986 monologue uh, about a Liverpudlian housewife, somewhat repressed, living a fairly narrow life, who uh, finds herself in Greece. You can see absolutely why... It's a sort of natural for the stage at the moment. It's a one-woman show. It's got Sheridan Smith in it, who has a huge theatrical and TV following. Mm. Um, she holds, I think, a fairly special place. She's sort of a uh, nation's darling, isn't she? Yeah, and she's it, certainly a nation's national treasure, I think. She's a favourite, nation's favourite, isn't she? I think yeah. we could safely say. And it's also the, the producer of this, David Pugh, has form. He revived Willie Russell's Educating Rita as one of the first shows that came mm. out of the blocks after the pandemic. I had decidedly mixed feelings about this. What did you think? I read your review and I, I think I agree with pretty much every line of it, actually. It was very much, you gave it three stars and it was, you know, I mean, you can kind of narrow it down to Sheridan, great, show, creaky. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for, this. <laughs> yeah, no, that I, I think that does pretty much sum it up. It's a good fit for her, even though the show does feel desperately old-fashioned now and incredibly dated. But it requires just the sort of warmth and empathy which is very much her stock in trade. She has, I think, an almost unique ability to communicate directly with an audience. Yeah. Um, in this play, the character does actually talk directly to the audience, but even... I would say all the way through her career, you feel that she's just talking to you. Uh, she, that's exactly what I thought. She's got this warmth and this kind of, particularly in something like this where she has to just simply talk to the audience, she's got this kind of conspiratorial air so that you feel like she's speaking to the people in front of her, not just the audience, in inverted commas, you yes. know? I went on a Saturday night. It was, you know, completely sold out and the audience were absolutely lapping it up they yeah. loved her and I'd say about maybe quarter to a third of them were there basically just 
to worship at the altar of Sheridan Smith. Yes, yeah, and nothing wrong with that. I mean, no, I think that's one of, one of the altars that is probably worth, <laughs> worth worshiping at. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the play. I mean, it took me right back to uh, those days of the 70s and 80s where the theatres and indeed the TV screen seemed to be full of men of a certain age mansplaining how awful women's lives were. Do you think back to it? <laughs> Alan Aitborn, Alan Bennett, Arnold Wesker and Willie Russell amongst them. And at the time, it was seen as this great sort of empathetic act of, of understanding and radicalism. Yeah. Um, and I think 40 years on, it doesn't look like that anymore. It doesn't, no. It's a sort of slightly less good look, isn't it? But <laughs> do you know what? It's kind of interesting because I did think, I, I was shocked to remember how dated it was, actually. Yeah. You know, all the stuff about her kind of Neanderthal husband. And oh, I don't know, It's it, the gender roles stuff just feels very... Very tired. But interestingly, I went with a friend who very recently made a kind of big life change that she feels she should have made a very long time ago, okay. kind of a big leap. And, you know, even for someone like me, like a child free 40 something woman who has a really exciting job, there's still ambitions that I haven't pursued out of fear. And mm. that message the two of us sitting next to each other we were kind of laughing but we were also like there was a lot of kind of little rueful looks right and kind of hand squeezes yes something that uh, interesting you say that because something that really stood out for me is that shirley valentine basically declares that her life is over and she has completely wasted it at the age of 42 i mean i really hope we have moved on from <laughs> yeah that that, that, that that was definitely a kind of that was a hand squeezer moment right okay fantastic yeah wonderful one of the nice things i think about about it is that, that in a way you, you see it going down a certain track and then right at the end Willie Russell sort of pulls it away from that track yes. you know she has this relationship with a Greek waiter you know yeah, that's I all mean, anybody knows about Shirley Valentine is it but the interesting thing about it is that that is not the thing it's no. the realisation that she has after that and after she lets go of that relationship yeah. um, that is important and is the message that sends you out of the theatre yeah. and that I found I did find quite cheering at, at the at the end of it it's interesting Willie Russell apparently updated this but it's surprisingly unupdated I think yeah. partly because the sexual politics are of its era and mm. so are the sort of Brits abroad stereotypes people going hey Zorba what's this on me plate sort of thing yeah, um, yeah. You, know, you, you can't <laughs> yeah. really update that I mean sort of I stuff. hope I hope that's out of date one thing that really really jarred for me though about the play was the way that she talks to the wall oh, God, and then yes. to the rock and you just kind of think how did he even get away with it even then in the 80s because yeah. it's such a clunky device and you don't need it it's a monologue obviously she's going to talk to the audience yes you yeah. don't need to keep saying didn't I wall it's every really time you know you kind it? of yeah. it's just it really really takes you out of it it does I don't and know you just don't need it and she does to really ram it home she does at one point say I'm scared of the life Beyond the wall, yeah. just in case you know anyone out there. You can put that in a big neon sign in front of the stage. Anyway, we're sounding very, very negative about this. I mean, I did she come out. She sells it. She sells it. Though. She, she sells every it. line at a yeah. premium. She holds this thing up. She completely. is extraordinary. There was a moment that I really crystallised it for me, where she pauses in the middle of cooking the egg and chips, and she's got a bottle of crisp and dry oil in one hand. She's got a pinny on, and I think she's got a spatula in the other hand. And she's remembering the single girl she used to be and says she used to laugh a lot, didn't she? And it's the most awful, cringy, mawkish line. But you look at her and you think this is the greatest moment of pathos I've witnessed yeah. in the yeah. last month on the She on the is London an exceptional stage. and very subtly brilliant actor, I think. She is, yeah. 
Should we quickly have a chat about the Olivier Awards? Because the nominations came out this week, didn't they? I was really pleased to see uh, one of our favourite interviewees that we've had on the podcast so far. Rob Madge has been nominated in Best Entertainment or Comedy Play for My Sons Are Queer, But What Can You Do? Which is lovely. Oddly enough, it's kind of in a category with... My neighbour Totoro at the Barbican. I don't really know how they're going to kind of compare that sort of yeah. elephant and orange. You but... feel entertainment yeah. and comedy play is one of those slightly sort of catch-all, let's bung all the stuff we don't really know we what to put in there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, these nom- nominations do sort of show uh, what a fantastically broad church theatre has been for the past year, doesn't it? From hmm. My Sons Are Queer to Totoro. I mean, the fact that a single category can embrace those two well, and one woman show actually, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Know, which yeah. has sort of t- caught fire, yeah, hit the West End from Edinburgh essentially. Absolutely. Remind me of the name of the Liz, um, Kingsman. Liz Kingsman. That was it, yeah, yeah. yeah and that, that occupied of... for me one of those strange states. Quite often, particularly shows at Soho Theatre, you feel they're sort of glorified stand-up routines or you know yeah. a monologue that's had a bit mm. of added a side out. table to <laughs> just the chair, so <laughs> yeah. to turn it, try and turn it into a play. Uh, but that one actually, for me, genuinely did flesh out a full story, and yeah. uh, you know was was remarkable. And there's some big heavy hit in the best revivals yeah uh, Jerusalem Streetcar Named Desire Cruise well you know these are these are hefty shows but can you look past Jerusalem uh, very good question I mean Streetcar has to be in with a um, yeah it's got to be shout, in with a shout definitely I but I just feel like there's so much love for Mark Rylance's Jerusalem and he's not going to do it again do you know what I mean? Is so, he not? He's talking well, about. He's talked about doing it again. He oh, said he, he wants to do it every decade. Oh, so the next yeah. time he'll do it, will be seventy when he does it. Wow. So. Okay, he's not going to do it very many more times. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many opportunities they're going to have to give him the Olivier for that, that revival. Is, you know, so. that is very true. Very true. Um, again, broad church there though in that revival. Broad church in musical revival. Uh, although I suppose actually Sister Act is the only remotely modern thing yeah, on there. It is it the only thing that's probably more than a little bit thin? Doesn't it? That yeah, one. Um, but uh, I haven't. Se- I have to say, I haven't seen Oklahoma yet, and I'm really excited to see it now that it's coming to the West End. I would um, say that would be the clear winner. I you think, reckon? I think so. I mean, the others were all actually. Sister Act was was pretty poor. I thought. Um, I think Oklahoma is. Yeah, it's a shoe in for that one. Is that again has got quite a few noms this year, hasn't it? It has. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's and indeed, of course, it. You know, we got in there first. It won our award last year. So yeah, exactly. And Anushka Luskas is up. Uh, she's the the lead in Oklahoma, and she's up for best actress in a musical. Although I do think out of this one, Casey Braben and Tammy Faye is probably oh, the one to be because that was, yeah, yeah she was yeah. absolutely, she just sort of like thwacked it out of the park, yeah. I yes. thought, in that show. Yeah, interesting looking down some of the other other characters, the supporting actor and actress. Those, mm. uh, we've got Rose Ailing Ellis in for As You Like It, which I thought yeah. was a lovely production in a really magical show. I think her main competition is Anjana Vassan, who I. Um, just um, uh, rapidly becoming a sort of stan account for really. <laughs> yes. um, I think she's a she's a tremendous actress, and yeah, uh, she, she absolutely held her own against Patsy Ferron yeah. and Paul Mescal in Streetcar. That wasn't a two hander. No, it wasn't a star vehicle. Uh, supporting role actors as well. I think good to see an ensemble recognised yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. The entire for... cast of for black boys who have considered suicide when the hue gets too heavy. Yeah, yeah. again, which is one that's coming to the West End, which you've seen already. Uh, Nick I Curtis, have, but... and which I thought was wonderful and refreshing. It is very interesting here that, as you say, they've given it to the entire ensemble. Um, of course, last year the Olivier's gave Best Actor to a puppet of a tiger. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I think you know, Best Director is a funny one, mainly because I. I think that Lynette Linton for Blues from Alabama Sky is a very odd omission in this category because I think one of the things that everybody thought was not just that that was a great show, but 
that actually the direction elevated the play by quite a long way. Definitely that, yes. I yes. thought it, it wasn't made a, it... You know, it was a good play, it wasn't a brilliant play, but she turned but it, it into a, an absolutely brilliant it event. It was superb production, yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm, really, I'm really surprised to see that she's not there, which is, you know, that's a shame. But yes. Uh, yeah. It's good Again, to see she, the rise and rise of Rebecca Frecknell. Yes, yeah. absolutely, for Streetcar. Yes. Uh, at the Almeida, which of course is again coming into the West End. Yes, and That's again, a good year, isn't it? <laughs> coming off the back of um, of her direct, her production of Cabaret as well, which is now on its fifth cast, I think sixth yeah. cast maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm going to go and see for the third time next week, wow. which is pretty unusual. <laughs> you know, I rarely want to see something twice, yeah. let alone three <laughs> yeah. times. So That's incredible. That's a testament to Rebecca Frecknell, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think let's very very quickly. I would say Jodie Comer for Prima Facie is probably the one to beat in Best Actress. Yep, but Strong it's a category. very yeah yeah. There's very. there's going to be a certain amount of emotion behind Patsy Ferron for Streetcar, I think, because she stepped into the role yeah. and yes. learned it in a matter of weeks and was outstanding yeah. in it so I think yeah. there's going to be uh, a sort of a certain faction we should probably just finish up with best actor shouldn't mm. we have a have a think about that Tom Hollander for Patriots that was great it was um, yeah it was but again I think if we're talking one to beat Paul Mezcal yeah Paul yeah. Mezcal uh, was just brilliant in Streetcar. That kind of like feral threat that he just carries. I agree. Is, is, well, I totally agree. But how extraordinary that we should be talking about him as the the sort of the clear front runner in a field that includes David Tennant, Charles Torreira, and Rafe Spall. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's exciting. It's exciting. I think it's going to be a that one's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be very interesting. Yep, we will watch with uh, with breath bated and. Uh, Shout out, to, <laughs> shout out to Hey Dougie, the live show. <laughs> My four-year-old, I thought that was a banger. <laughs> After the break, I'll be speaking to Jenna Coleman and Josie Rourke for Lemons, 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 Lemons at the Harold Pinter Theatre. We'll be back after these ads. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm with Jenna Coleman and Josie Rourke for Lemons, 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 Lemons at the Harold Pinter Theatre. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining us. Thank you for saying all the lemons. <laughs> yeah, I had to count. I'm not going to lie. Can you tell listeners briefly what the play is about? Yes, yes, we can. Yes. <laughs> Josie looked directly at me and I looked directly back at you. <laughs> it is a relationship drama. It is asks, I think, um, a question of the audience as to whether or not this couple who you see meet and get together are going to stay together. And one of the things that puts that relationship under pressure and also I think throws into relief how relationships work is that a law is introduced, a bill, that restricts citizens to speaking only 140 words a day. And that can be at home, at work, everywhere. That's all you get. And Jenny, your co-star is Aidan Turner. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what attracted you to the play? One, not just saying this because Josie sat next to me, but I really wanted to work with Josie. Fashion tips. Fashion, yep. But I read the play actually and and it's, it's very interesting to read it because it was one of those where I was like, I definitely didn't have all the answers. I think when you particularly read it, and I remember coming to meet Josie for lunch and she was like, "It's it, you're not supposed to yet. It's kind of like a Sudoku puzzle. There's 102 scenes within the piece. Obviously, it's all unchronological. It's a relationship across the course of what we have uncovered for us is six years. And within that, it's like what informs the beginning of each scene. Like, And I think that for me felt really thrilling. Building the backstory with such detail to such an extent and then and then landing in each scene we're in a state where you know this is them when they've just met then you cut to five years later and here they are then you're straight back into the middle your pre-law your post-law and it's you capture them almost screenshotted in all these different states so I think you know reading the play initially and then coming through the rehearsal process with that kind of detail was was really attractive. Yeah working out was a lot of fun yeah giddy and fantastic and soulful and lovely and and it is a bit like the acting olympics because it's also so quick because those 102 scenes are 80 something minutes i think so there's a there's a ferocity and a precision i think to acting it that's really exciting it sort of flips between um full speech and truncated speech doesn't it it looks i have to say watching it it looks like a killer to learn. Yeah, I think it is one of those ones where that question, how do you learn all those lines, is actually a legit question. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, would not like normally really, ask that no, question, no, but it no, is. Yeah, and, and it's a kind of basic unit of acting, know your lines. But I think the thing is probably it's less, well, you tell me, it's less the lines, it's more the connective tissue yeah. between the scenes. So it's not what do I say next, it's where am I next in that sort of teleporting device of the play that moves them backwards and forwards in time through the relationship. And I think what's so great about it is sometimes when it is so quick and because we have done so much detailed work of it in rehearsal, it really means this play in particular, I think, e- each night because of the because of the speed of the play and the ferocity of the play and you it, it really, really does take a life of its own every single night in a really different... A yeah, really, it's exhilarating. Yeah. I think it's exhilarating to come back and see it. It's the, it's the totality as well as the detail of it. And, and it, it really is... You know, I think it also appeals to um, Aidan, who I think is quietly, deeply, let's say a sports person rather than deeply competitive. Yes. But um, I mean, you both are to an extent, but like, how are we going to do it tonight? Like, what is this event of the play that we're going to do? It's quite cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, especially like, because we had so, we had a really great preview period. It was so interesting how, you know, like the audiences latch on to different nights, different aspects of the play and the different questions or different characters, I suppose, within the play or certain audience members that they laugh in the in the uncomfortable moments of that, whereas other people feel very, very 
devastated by it. And so you get this really conflicted, uh, yeah, human reaction to it. I think I read somewhere that you, you talked about some exercises that you did during rehearsal where you counted the words while you were saying them. What, what Can you just talk a L- little... Literally oh, little. the shittiest thing I made you do. And I thought Aiden was going to assassinate me. <laughs> I feel like we did a couple of different... Yeah. We did one where I had tea bags. Yeah. Because yeah. we spoke... You, you were yeah. saying a lot about each word is waste. Like yeah. is is a coin. That was yeah, it. We did it with coins and like, you know, do, like do you pay it? Do you throw it away? What do you do? Uh, but the, the, one, the one that I think uh, made Aiden uh, start plotting a murder was um, count down with the words that you're saying so say 37 you say your oh, word 36 yeah. so just to give you a sense of what it was and it's incredibly hard to do while you remember your lines at the same time and and muscular and sort of awful and that was kind of the point but yeah yeah and, and what it did to our physicality yeah as well. the the biggest exercise we did really was um pretty much kind of a week that we spent um putting the play into chronological order color coding and titling each kind of movement within the relationship and then also naming each scene individually. So each scene has got a title, some of which are more ridiculous than others. Yes, we can blame Sam for that. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Stanley, the playwright. Jenny, you're very often seen on TV. Is theatre a muscle that you feel like you have to flex every few years? Yeah, definitely. Why? I mean, well, because whenever in TV would you even get a week to sit and talk about the play and dissect the play before you begin properly putting it up on its feet? It's like... It's a completely different um, collectively as well. I think, you know, it was all working in the room together. You just don't, you simply don't get that time on TV. And I think working with something again in its entirety as well, like getting to tell this story beginning to end every night as opposed to, you know, picking up aspects of a story over the space of three months it's a it's a completely different um muscle mm. it was really good fun to do as well yeah like it was just it's good fun you know i'm not saying that shooting films and television isn't fun it's just it's not as gosh it's gonna sound really smug but it's not as cozy it's not like there are seven of you in a room just working a thing out having the same in jokes you know who's putting the coffee on you know that kind of life to it is just really nice i think you have described it as a Batman versus Superman concept. I was explaining to uh, a journalist who was asking about the detail of the place. There's a completely reasonable question which goes, like, how how do you stop someone speaking more than 140 words? Like, are they wearing a metal futuristic bracelet and get zapped? Or why don't they write stuff down? Or, you know, can they not just send each other notes uh, on WhatsApp? And... I said that's what I would call a Batman versus Superman question, which is a shorthand in my family. My brother, who I love very much, uh, can occasionally, and it helps him in his job uh, as a solicitor who prosecutes fraud, uh, be very precise and quite literal about things. So my brother once drew me a diagram to explain why Batman versus Superman just doesn't work. So so it was a shorthand we used in rehearsal for like the stuff you really shouldn't be worrying about. It was like, that's a Batman versus Superman moment. That, like we know it doesn't stack. That's not the point. That actually answers so many questions about this play. That's so useful. <laughs> when you see it in the West End, you're like, oh, this is an unusual play to be in the West End. So what kind of made you think lemons, 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 that's the one? So this is interesting, okay, and it's kind of culturally interesting. So are you only meant to revive plays that you think are really good and have fantastic parts for actors and are wonderful um, that have already had a kind of swooshy life. 
Mm. Do you know what I mean? By which I mean like have been a marvellous hit at the marvellous National Theatre where I'm currently working or, you know, oh, they did this play downstairs at the Royal Court and so-and-so and and, and 14 years later we should all think about an appropriate revival. No, I don't think so. I think it's really cool to find stuff. And partly it's also because I think uh, back to when I ran the Bush Theatre, uh, one million years ago, you know, and 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 those plays, you know, like uh, Apologia, Lex K. Campbell's play, or Nick Payne's play, if there is, I haven't found it yet, or Seawall that Andrew Scott um, performed sensationally several times, I've all had this kind of life on Broadway, slightly off Broadway, and I, I do think there's something about youthful, brilliant work as well as slightly more established, expensive, confidence-giving car style work that should be thought about and considered and it's fun to do it in the West End and it's cool that Jenna and Aidan want to do it it's great you know that brings amazing audiences and Jenna do you get a feeling that audiences are just completely you know not worrying about Batman versus Superman they are suspending their disbelief completely and just really getting into it yeah you do feel that and it's and I mean you know you get that kind of feedback obviously live but then you know the kind of questions that people are asking me afterwards and after the play is is yeah they totally engaged not not actually questioning the the structure questioning the relationship and the and the humanity within it do they stay together is like the, you know the biggest question and you feel that investment and actually i think what is of interest ultimately is is the human story as as opposed to you know isn't it saying the human story i think he's such a beautiful you know, the amazing thing about it being a play that he wrote when he was so young is that it's so wise. I mean, he's redrafted it and matured the characters and thought about a longer relationship and all of those things. But, you know, there's amazing insight into particularly romantic relationships there and how they function. And a, a, an essential question about the compatibility of people and what we search for. And how sometimes that, I think, is a search for something that requires validating within ourselves. And we sometimes mistake that for love and sometimes that is love. It's really wonderful. And I think you need to go and probably get just dressed, do it, don't do, you? Do the play. Go and go and, mm. go and do, do the actual lemons, 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 go lemons, lemons. <laughs> I think I just said it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Jenna Coleman, Josie Rourke, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Nancy thank Durant you. of the Evening Standard. <laughs> Coming up, Nick and I review Women Beware the Devil at the Almeida. If you're enjoying the show and want to hear more, hit follow and rate. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre podcast. Women Beware the Devil at the Almeida Theatre. So Nick, what's it all about? (laughs) Thanks for asking. (laughs) Um, It's not exactly easy to say what it's all about. (laughs) I think uh, when I reviewed it, I said I didn't really have sort of folk horror about the English Civil War and demonic possession and witchcraft on my bingo card for (laughs) theatre in 2023. But that's what we've got here uh, on a basic level. A sort of neo-Jacobean, folk horror-infused <laughs> comic revenge tragedy. Yeah, and possibly a critique of uh, contemporary society as well thrown in, I sort, of, I sort of felt. But I have to say, I was, I was as intrigued by this play as I was baffled by it, or vice versa. I left the theatre with mixed feelings, actually. I really applaud the ambition of this play. Yeah. I thought the writing by Lulu Ronschka was really fascinating. I thought there was a lot in there. It was really dense, a lot of messages in there. I didn't really get them all, and I... <laughs> Because I interviewed Lydia Leonard, one of the stars, so I read the play beforehand, so I was slightly more prepped than some of the audience around me. But even then, it feels to me like there was a lot that I left unexplored. But I loved individual moments of the writing. I uh, really thought it left you guessing at every step of the way. I mean, it didn't really clear it up by the very end. But where something as so unusual as this felt almost quite experimental. Yes, yeah. um, Probably 
would surprise a lot of the general theatre-going audiences. But I think if you're prepared for a more radical style of, uh, of theatre-making, this might be up your street. I've got to say, a lot of the people around me were clearly baffled by it. <laughs> yeah, I think baffled is the word of the, yeah. of the show, really, isn't it? I mean, one thing that I think, you're right about the ambition of it, and one thing that always slightly uh, surprises me is that given theatre is an imaginative space where mm. you can do what you like, really, you mm. can just say to the audience... Imagine anything here. Um, how many plays are basically about ordinary people talking in rooms? Yes. There's very little that pushes the envelope of theatre. You never see horror in theatre. You hardly ever mm. see sci-fi in theatre. I thought that when The Warp was done at the Royal Court not that long ago, um, that was something that was similarly ambitious, mm. similarly flawed to, to this show. And Lulu Ronchka, I think, it clearly is trying to say some interesting things in not entirely obvious ways. Yeah. Possibly not even entirely obvious to her. Yeah, Possibly. maybe, maybe. Lydia Leonard's character is the mistress of a great house and a royalist house in the uh, on the eve of the English Civil War. And she obviously doesn't stand to inherit because, she, you know, she, it's her brother who's in, who's the who's the lord of the manor mm. or whatever. I don't know if he actually has a title, but he's the, he's the property owner. Yes, he's the lord, yeah. And so they need an heir. So she yeah. enlists a maid. She a starts certain, as a stable girl a stable and girl, becomes the it, sort yes. of lady's maid. Yes, that's right. Some people were, were sort of saying she was a servant. She's actually sort of below a servant. Yes. She? She's a... She is, as you say, a stable maid. She's been accused of witchcraft. She's accused of witchcraft. And so the, the Lydia Lander's character, Elizabeth, basically says, if you force my brother to provide me with an heir, then um, I'll see you right or I'll make sure you're not hanged. Um, yes, and in doing so, she unleashes the forces of chaos she does. <laughs> into the house. And there's, there's, there's some uncertainty about whether the royalist faction represents evil and the devil, whether... The new Puritans are, yeah. are are the sort of wicked faction. Mm. Whether Elizabeth herself perhaps is the is the real devil, even though we have yes. the devil himself on stage. Yes, he stalks a and man he... with horns and a tail, and who is uh, who appears reading a copy of the Evening Standard at the start, <laughs> <laughs> at the start of the show. The Make second what, show what with an will. Evening Standard show after the Mousetrap. There you go. It's, so yeah. You know, it's obviously where the devil gets his, gets his go to newspaper. <laughs> it's interesting about the devil. He plays all of the men that come into the house. So Leo Bill, yes, plays the Lord, yes, um, and which is it, he, some of it's really comic and really funny, but some of it is really abusive, and so yes. it's a very odd line to walk with his character because sometimes you want to laugh and sometimes you just can't believe what he's done. Yes, yeah. Um, but the devil does appear and he, he then appears as all sorts of different characters, sort of invaders into the house and I didn't quite get that. Yes. But at the same time, I think Lydia Leonard's character, she stands for conservatism, for tradition. She wants to preserve the house and her family's history at all costs. Yes. And the servant girl stands for chaos and brings in and with with the civil war getting ever closer it's whether they can stop the forces of change from coming in it, on one level i think it's a play about defending your privilege isn't it yeah. uh the the house stands as a metaphor for mm. all sorts of invested power i think you know that that uh, elizabeth and her brother have basically mm. my social media feed my theater social media feed is divided into two camps effectively one which is love the well-made plays beginning middle and end yeah. you know <clears throat> yeah. what you might describe as a sort of english traditional theater audience the other half is very much influenced by the sort of german or eastern and eastern european tradition mm. um i've saw someone arguing on there recently that we should have pure plays 
that we can understand. Well, I think she'd have loved this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But it's quite camp in lots of ways, this play as well, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, it's sort of like an old Hammer horror film. Yes, absolutely. Some That's of the, the, the folk sort of horror yeah. that, that's inspired it. Absolutely. I mean, they really, the world building is great, I think. And mm. I, I actually think it's brilliantly directed. Yes. I think the performances are good too. Certainly the, the two mm. central female performances. I mean, I think Lydia Leonard is, is kind of the glue that holds it together. Definitely, yes. She's, um, and she holds it together with this sort of, it's uh, with a sort of tension to her performance, doesn't it? She oh. feels the whole thing is bound up with exasperation and gritted teeth and she's what? just holding you know just holding the world together basically her absolutely world. against the forces of everything else that wants to tear it down um, it's also very well designed just to say by Miriam Buter who yeah. uh, I think is um, a tremendous designer this has a false perspective in it yes um, and the bed think, that goes up and down and a bed that goes up and down uh, <laughs> like a sort of periscope or, yes. or you know like uh, like something there's, there's quite a sexual dimension to this we play as well the newly Olivier nominated Miriam ah, Buter we should we should say that so a kind of uh, mixed bag this week, I think, and mixed views from all of us on yeah. uh, both Shirley Valentine and Women Beware the Devil. But again, shows you how fertile London theatre is that it can accommodate. And, and we'll always applaud ambition. So we'll always applaud ambition and, and, and people who push the envelope. Absolutely. That's it for this week's episode of the Evening Standard Theatre podcast. I'm Nick Curtis. I'm Nancy Durrant. And I'm Nick Clark. We'll be back next Sunday. Make sure you hit rate. Follow and leave us a review. See you soon.